There is a technical term for this before we get to the market. It is called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and I'm, I really? think it's worth looking up. It means that those of us that don't know much about stuff believe we're experts because we might know a lot in another field. 80% of us believe we're above average drivers. There. Mm-hmm. That is a very clear, verifiable quote uh, that is a direct representation of Dunning-Kruger, the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's worth looking up. It's uh, You could drop it at a at a barbecue, drop that sentence at a barbecue, and everybody will make mm, mm, noises at you, which is... I think that means they're impressed. It may just mean that they're chewing their barbecue. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we are bald. And, and separately, bearded. Separately, we're bald as well. Um, right. And bearded. Uh, we are also, what, what would you call us? We're, we're, we're talking, but we're not really just talking heads we're not on television so the talking voices Ooh, i like that talking voice we are the talking voices and pundits of um, pundit doesn't sound very nice though. no i don't like pundits we're no, not pundits we're, we're, we, we do puns bad ones especially about the word pundit because you can think of several puns right off your head with about the, the impact that my joke makes on your brain is a pundit there you go there is my an abundant pun, pundit. and I hope that dent that it left behind only gives you a small groan for the rest of the day. Um, yes, a pundit. We are not those, though. We may leave those behind us as we go forward. We purport to understand. No, no. We purport to study and realize how much people really don't understand about the economy. And that's what we're here to talk to you about, about all the things we don't know and why we don't know them. Um and then well, make it sound like we're very confident about what we think is going to happen in the future. Actually, since I am confident about the fact that the majority of what we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. So we can't talk about something we don't know, we don't know. I we don't can know. only talk about the things that we don't that we know we don't know. I, I don't know about that. Yes. Okay. So before we get started about all the things we don't know, we can tell you the disclosures of the things that we do know. First, we told you we're bald. This is certifiable, verifiable, and we are certifiable as well. Um, We're bearded. We are also, Jeff and Jake McClure, are also the principals of an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission to give fiduciary investment advice in the best interest of clients. Now, what does that mean for the radio program? Um, We're telling you because we're limited in our speech. We, number one, fiduciaries, it's important that if you give fiduciary advice, you're doing it in private, one-on-one, and you know the situation before you begin, and you at least have some degree of expertise on the subject. All those things have to work. To claim that we have expertise in the economy is stretching it. It may be better than everybody else's or some other people's, um, but the amount that's unknown is still huge. So we claim some degree of expertise, which enough to say that nobody's really an expert. And because the firm's registered with the SEC to give investment advice, doesn't mean that the SEC has some kind of a approval status for those two bald guys. No, 
They don't give us a thumbs up. Uh, they haven't given us a thumbs down either, but that doesn't say anything. They just may not have been paying attention. So they don't give us any credibility. They're just the ones to complain to, and they're our regulators. So if we say something stupid, scratch that. Let's remove that from the record. That's mostly what we talk about. If we say something fraudulent, you should complain to them. A stupidity, that's not a crime, or we'd all be in prison. Man, yeah, we'd all be in prison. <laughs> Yes. So not only that, we're not giving advice on the air. Yeah. If you called in in the privacy of this broadcast and we gave you great advice, it would be in violation of all things fiduciary because there's not much privacy in our conversation and we don't know really who you are. And if we did know who you are and started revealing it on the air because you called in and asked us a question, there'd be all kinds of problems with that. So what are well, we, we doing? Give, what are we doing if we, we can, can't give advice? We can give some advice on the air. Buy low, sell high. Um, don't get involved in a land war on the Asian continent. Yeah. Um, uh, buy a stock. When it goes up, sell it. If it doesn't go up, don't buy it in the first place. Yes. Yeah. There you go. That may, yeah. So this is good. good advice. If you can follow that, we're good. I think that's universal advice that anybody could follow. If they followed it, it would be all good. Well, that uh, last one, you had to quote the source. So that's Will Rogers. Yes, Will Rogers. Um, so this... This, as a, as a full circle, we're not giving investment advice on the air. We're giving, hopefully, education. We are, uh, I don't know. I think being an expert in the economy means that you're less stupid than everybody else. So our education, this is the high bar that we're setting. We're hoping to make us all a little less stupid. Thank you. That's, that is our goal with our educational program today. Um, that is not implying that those that are listening are more stupid than we. There are many subjects in which we are the uh, most stupid in the room. If you start talking to us about whether the Bulls or the um, Cowboys won the Super Bowl last year, we will not be able to tell you because... Neither will anyone else. No. Um, I don't know who did. Uh, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that the, it wasn't the Bulls but only because Michael Jordan played basketball. And I don't think he's won a Super Bowl yet. And he would be wearing the ring if they won last year, right? Right. So that's the I depths think. of our ignorance there. We have plumbed them. And there are no depths. It keeps going deeper. So we are not uh, claiming expertise in the area of organized sports or disorganized sports for that matter, rugby included. <clears throat> um, okay. So now we have said the extent of the words that I have for sports. Rugby, Super Bowl, Bulls, and Cowboys. Now we can go on to the next disclosure. What information do we use here? Are you going to say this? This is your disclosure. What information we use? We use information that is, well, we make a point of only using information from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And if you can say that 10 times fast... Ten times um, that, ten times Someone fast. might buy you a beer at a late night club. Right, Maybe. got it. Yes. Okay. So that was, you know, we're, we're not paid to do this radio program, and we don't pay to do the radio program. This is not paid commercial programming, nor is it something that we do as a career. Uh, it's some kind of volunteer torture that we put on ourselves, but it actually is the longest that these two bald people get to talk to each other in any given week, generally speaking. By the way, Elder Baldy, Jeff is my father. I am younger Baldy Jake, and we have been working together 
in the investment world, retaining what degree of sanity you may judge us to have or lack thereof since 1991. You've been doing this nine years no. longer than me. You did it since 82. So, right. Well, actually, technically it was 83. 83. January of 83. I was working in the business in the fall of 1982. However, I was not licensed to offer securities or give advice on securities until January of 1983. Okay. So for you, it's 40 years mm -hmm. um, to, to now. And that's a lot of time. Well, uh, not really. Um, and 32 years for me. So cumulatively, we've been doing this. No, you can't add that together. It's not how it works. You, you can. What we're this saying is, is that we've been around the markets a long time. And with that information and that experience, we can tell you we don't know a lot. When we first got into this and we're getting all trained up, and I know about, I don't know about you, but, you know, coming in with all my education behind me, I thought I was going to be able to know all those kinds. Of, and then I started discovering all the things we don't know. And it's, it's still nice to not know less than other people don't know, but that's a lot of double negatives in that sentence. If you can follow that, then I'm impressed. Um, Okay, so what happened this week in the market? Uh, with regard to the last subject you discussed. I don't think anybody knows the last subject I discussed, including me. The knowledge that I gain is accompanied by knowledge about what I don't know. So what I, as I said, it's what I know grows. What I know that I don't know grows by typically a factor of 10. That's exponentially. So that I think that when I die, I should drown in a sea of ignorance. There is a technical term for this before we get to the market. It is called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and I'm, I really? think it's worth looking up. It means that those of us that don't know much about stuff believe we're experts because we might know a lot in another field. 80% of us believe we're above average drivers. There. Mm -hmm. That is a very clear, verifiable quote. Uh, that is a direct representation of Dunning-Kruger, the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's worth looking up. It's a, you could drop it at a, at a barbecue, drop that sentence at a barbecue, and everybody will make mm, mm, noises at you, which is, I, I think that means they're impressed. It may just mean that they're chewing their barbecue. Okay, on, on from right. Dunning-Kruger and well, through the market. On to the stock market. We primarily measure the stock market by the S&P 500 stock index, and Somebody actually asked me, why don't I use the Dow Jones Industrial Average? Well, sometimes, very significantly, the Dow Jones Industrial Average will go one direction, the S&P 500 will go the other, and there's a very good reason for that. There's only 30 stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they're not chosen by anything other than the fact that a committee says they ought to be in there. Whereas the S&P 500 Stock Index, which um, Standard & Poor's is actually a company, they are owned by somebody else, but that's beside the point. They actually try really hard to take the 500 largest capitalization companies you know, what's a capitalization if you take the stock value of companies traded traded in the united states it doesn't necessarily mean they're domiciled in the united states and you take the 500 of them that have stock with the largest market valuation and you put them together and then you give more weight in your average to the ones that are larger you come up with the s&p 500 stock index so that's what they've done and it's got it's warts and pimples, but it's probably the best well-known one out there. Anyway, it kind of relaxed last week. It, it was probably overexerted because it's it's really old. I mean, it and its predecessors go back over 100 years. So, I mean, at that age, you wouldn't expect it to run real hard. 
it did really do well in the first two weeks. Uh, it was up four point something percent. So it took a relaxing week last week and went down 0.66% after weaving around like a drunken sailor during the week. Um, it uh, went up because everything looked good and interest rates, the the inflation rate looks like it's coming down. We talked about that last week. It looks like the inflation rate is is going towards zero month to month. So they figured the, S and the, the Federal Reserve would not raise interest rates too much, which wouldn't hurt earnings too much. So the stock market value started up. And then more information came out and it decided uh, bank earnings were lower than expected. And there was some other stuff that came out. The Commerce Department reported the retail sales were down. So instead of being afraid of the S and afraid of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, it decided to be afraid that we were about to have a recession. So then it went down in the middle of the week and then it came back up towards the end of the week because it said, no, no, that counts. And it only moved 6,600 of 1%. So it really didn't do anything if you look at the beginning and the end of the week. One, so one more it. big uh, big storm with with uh, no net effect or not much net right. effect by the end of the week. Right. Um, so yeah. anyway, the S, the standard, we call it the SPX because actually there's several ways of measuring the growth or shrinkage of the S&P 500. And we use the, the term called SPX. You get your hand at what you Yeah, I, I wanted to fill you in. This is something um, I heard you say this the last couple of times, and I keep forgetting that I've done the research to tell you about it. I knew that the SPX, the S&P 500 index, not the stocks inside it, but the measurement thing itself, the right to the name and the people that keep the numbers, used to be McGraw-Hill, but I haven't mm -hmm. seen McGraw-Hill around anywhere because I missed it. Um, in 2016, they became S&P Global. <clears throat> That's who they are. So it used to be McGraw-Hill, and I don't know how I missed this in the, in the noise of the rest of the world. That's who owns the S&P indexes. Um, they also own the Do Dow Jones Industrial and the Dow all the Dow Jones indexes. So they, they, it is a, a media company. Yeah, and they actually own the CIA and the – no, no. No, no. Sure. That's different acronyms. Uh, oh, okay. No, no CIAs there. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Where it's, did you get that? That's just. I don't know. I'm CIA or the KGB or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, the the S and P 500 went up above 4,000 on Tuesday. It dropped down to 3,900 on Thursday, and it closed out the week at 3,972.61, down 0.66 percent. But it's up 3.47 percent so far this year. That's really cool. But it all depends on how you look at it. It's still down 17% from where it was at the beginning of last year. It's uh, because it's not the beginning of the year. It's now down only 9.67% from a year ago. Uh, so that's way. And the index is up about 11% from its low in mid-October. So that was probably, that looks more and more like it was a low point in this bear market. It's up about 11% from there. It's up 76% from March of 2020. That's the last bear market. And it's up about 21% from where it was three years ago. And again, we talk about this, but it's important to, to, to be aware. If you're a speculator, you're concerned about the short-term movements of the market. You're watching them carefully. If you're an investor, by definition, that means long-term, then the market over the last three years has risen about 21%. The stock market, the S&P 500, has risen about 21%, and that's good. That's a very nice year-by-year. Year. I know it's simplistic to, to say it that way, but it's about 7% simple interest a year, which ain't bad, folks. Um, now, we follow another index, too, which is the CRSP Mid-Cap Value Index. 
It fell 1.4% for the week. It closed at 2427.77, but it's up 3.77 so far this year. And here's the important numbers about that particular index. It is 6.53% lower than its record high set in January. It's only 2.45% down from a year ago, which is something that we kind of focus on, the fact that the S&P 500 is primarily driven by large capitalization, really big, growth-oriented companies, whereas value companies are priced in the market not according to how much they're expected to grow, but how much they're worth on a day-to-day basis. At least that's the estimates. That's the theory. And there is a difference in different parts of the market. So where you're invested in will not necessarily go the same way or to the same degree that the S&P 500 does, which is a really nice sort of disclosure. Okay, on to the bonds. The benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note, when we say benchmark, a lot of loan valuations, uh, interest rates that are set, that are flowed around, are determined by the U.S. 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield. Uh, it kind of followed the stock market. The yield followed the stock market around during the week. It, it rose early in the week, sagged midweek, and finished almost exactly where it began the week at 3.48%. as is annual yield on if you if you got a if you, if on Friday at the close of the market you had bought a US Treasury note, theoretically it will yield 3.48% and put 3.48% per year in your pocket until it matures. Uh, let, let me throw in a piece of useless trivia definition and uh, etymology of a word. Um, benchmark. Benchmark comes from uh, craftsmanship, when you're a particularly carpenter, when you set up your workbench and you're doing the same kind of chair repeatedly, this comes way before automation, you'd make marks on the bench so you knew when, where to cut the boards and it uh, influenced all the chairs. Your benchmark influenced a lot of the things that you were building. So when we use the word benchmark for an index, it's because or for an interest rate of a given maturity of bonds, it's because it's a lot of other products, loans, are built using the template to start with of the 10-year U.S. Treasury. That's why we call it a benchmark and why it's more important in a lot of economic terms than the other maturities because it affects more than just itself. It affects a lot of other products. Okay, back to you. Useless trivia complete. Yes. There's an oddity going on in the yield curve. Uh, that's kind of a normal oddity. That's The yield curve is normally odd. Uh, it's, it's inverted. And what that means is, is that short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, which is upside down and backwards. It's inverted. Normally, longer-term loans will charge you a higher interest rate than shorter-term loans. And that's what the yield curve is about normally. When it inverts, historically, it is an indicator that a recession is due. Now, there's an oddity going on out there, and I actually wasn't aware of it. I looked at it, I've been seeing it, but I wasn't aware of it until I read that the Japanese central bank is consciously creating an oddity as they manipulate their yield curve. And there's a kink in their yield curve. So I got to looking at our yield curve. There is a kink in our yield curve. The maturities greater than 10 years rise in interest rates very nicely out into the future. The lowest point on the yield curve, in other words, if you looked at all the maturities of various treasury securities you could buy in the market today, you can obviously buy a 90-day T-bill. You can actually buy a 30-day T-bill if you want to. And it goes all the way out to 30 years. And all of these, by the way, just quick reference, is a loan of money to the U.S. government. You buy one of these, you're loaning money to the government. 
Go ahead. You're, you're buying what used to be called paper. You're, you're buying a, a thing. It's now digital, but it used to be paper. Uh, and the government promises to pay you back your principal with a certain amount of interest, depending on which, whether it's a bill or note or a bond, the interest is paid a little differently. But that's what it is. And, and it's pretty consistent, except maybe this year, that they will pay you back your principal at the end of that. Uh, we can talk about that more later, too. Anyway, the lowest interest point on the entire spectrum of maturities is at 10 years. Which is weird. It's the lowest interest rate in a healthy-looking interest rate environment is the shortest term, mm -hmm. like the 30-day point, not the 10-year point. It is, it is weird because interest rates, the shortest one is not the highest interest rate. Interest rates rise out to six months and they, they, they gradually slide downward a little bit. And then at 10 years, they drop suddenly and then they go back up again at 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 years. Weird. Why does the 10-year interest rate lower than the rest of the interest rates? Well, I don't have any insider information on that. However, there, I read a very good article, I think it was in The Economist, that the Japanese central bank is in fact manipulating their yield curve to cause the 10-year point to be the lowest interest rate. And it occurred to me that the actions of the Open Market Committee, which is where they set these things, at the Federal, Federal Reserve. Reserve, are secret. That's this, their actual buying and selling is secret stuff. They may be doing exactly the same thing. Now, why? would they intentionally cause the 10-year treasury note to have a lower yield than shorter-term or longer-term treasury securities? And I'll give you a quick answer to that before we get into deep, deep conspiracy theories. The Federal Reserve buys and sells bonds all the time. They have to. They're kind of regulating our currency by doing it. On the net, on the net, what they're doing every month right now is selling a lot of bonds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you sell bonds, uh, the you price have, goes down. The price goes down, and the interest rates go up. Yeah. So when you're selling bonds, and you say, "I have been buying maturities, and they're maturing," some portion of the Fed's book has to be rolled over. They're not selling all the bonds that are maturing. More may be maturing than they're trying to sell right now. Does that make sense? So they're getting money mm -hmm. back from the government. Here's your money back. And they want to put that back into a bond. They don't want to hold it in just pure paper, in pure money. So they put it back into a bond, and they're focusing their purchasing on the new issues of 10-year bonds. The 10-year is where they're buying, which means which they're just rolling over their maturities. One thing matures, they're taking that money and throwing it into 10 years. And what that's doing is because they're still buying one maturity, it's causing the price to stay up and the interest rate to stay down for that maturity until yep. they change their policy internally. So it may not be an act of manipulation. It may just be somebody said, just buy that one. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised. Somehow I wouldn't think that the intellectual people at the Federal Reserve would just randomly buy. I've known too many people that work at the Fed. I wish I could believe that they are the ivory tower, but the, at the bureaucratic well, level, they are not. <laughs> well, look at it this way. They are, they are conscious, and they state this, they're trying to slow the economy down. Yeah, yeah. What better way of slowing the economy down and causing people to hoard their money, which, by the way, the banks are doing. They're setting aside bigger reserves because they're expecting recession. Right. If they lower the yield, 
on the 10-year treasury note and thereby create an inverted yield curve, which historically has happened naturally before recessions. But let's just say they were doing it intentionally okay, and creating this fear of a coming recession consciously, thereby slowing the economy down and reducing inflation. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I, it's a useful trick if they're doing it. it it's another tool. I mean, their, their job is not to prevent recessions. That's not in the, the rule book anywhere. Right. Their job is to prevent inflation and deflation and try to keep well, us fully employed. Yeah. Recessions tend to make us unfully employed. Right. So there, there, maybe the fear of the recession could keep us fully employed right. while give us the benefit of thinking we have a recession and causing our economy to do the right thing on, on Here's inflation. the point. They keep goofy. saying we're going to have a soft landing. And the question that keeps coming up in the pundits and the articles and the columns, and it makes sense to me, the question that keeps popping up is if we're going to have a soft landing or we're not going to have a major recession in the United States, how is the, why is the yield curve so inverted? And if the answer is because the Federal Reserve is consciously making it inverted to make us think we're going to have a recession so that we will not spend so much money so that we will reduce inflation, they're doing exactly what they are tasked to do. Yeah. Agreed. And it appears to be working. Now, the leading economic indicator index has been down for quite some time. That's not good news when we're looking ahead either. Um, manufacturing's down, uh, well, services down, and all of that is really as we said in the newsletter, it's just coming back to norm. We were expanding way, way too fast. 9% expansion rate in some of our manufacturing arms. That's just not sustainable. You can't do that every year. And sometimes when you buy a big project and you bought three big projects, you don't complete the third project. And that's what we're seeing. It's still expansion, massive expansion from what we were pre-pandemic. But that manufacturing is slowing back down. It, I think it. I think this is one of those things that goes on whenever it can go on. And that is we look at tea leaves, at statistics, and we say uh, this statistic, if it performs this way, has historically predicted that. Right. Well, sooner or later, somebody will figure out how to how to manipulate that statistic. And this is a great example of it, where the Federal Reserve has a big influence on the yield curve, uh, and that's a major economic indicator, and it causes the other indicators to kind of follow behind. Mm -hmm. So as an answer, uh, the leading credit index is one of the indicators. That's a, and that's when we talk about the benchmarks. These indexes on how much debt we're having, what's the prevailing interest on that debt, what's going on in the stock market, all of those are influenced directly by the yield curve. So um, it's really hard to read the tea leaves right now because we're using a new kind of tea. Uh, it, it, they still have leaves and we're looking at them and they're saying, yep, there are some patterns in here, but we need some studying. When we look at employment, that's a lagging indicator, but it still looks really strong. When we look at earnings, even though the big tech area is laying off, earnings still look good. Uh, it looks like we're going to have a strong quarter's worth of growth at the end of 2022. Moody's just revised its estimate down a bit, but it's still in the extremely healthy area above three and a half percent. That's all of that put together says that we may be slowing, but we're not slowing much. 
and the areas that we are slowing are the places that we're in definitely in euphoric country in in silliness mode. Tesla had no business being priced what it was. And we said this at the time in order for Tesla to be priced the way it was a year ago, it would have needed to sell all the cars in the United States. It, it is still worth more than all of the other car manufacturers combined. And that says that People were not buying them because they're a car manufacturer. They thought they were going to do something more, something different. And there's a cult that was built around it. So we need these kind of pullbacks to knock the hot air out of um, the the stuff that's going on. Not out of the hot air balloon because that would cause everything to fall down. And not out of the steam engine because that would cause it to end. But you follow. I'm mixing my metaphors on purpose here. Or maybe it's by accident. All right, so that's that is. Does that wrap up the market? Because we've got a couple no. of no. You still have more. Okay, I still have more. Okay, the price of oil didn't do anything significant. Very nice to know. But it was this. This is. But it all it all ties together. And the news today. By the way, nothing happened. The weekend. I'm going on go on about what's likely to happen in the economy and the indicators and so on. But the price of oil. Uh, soared and slumped in time with the market interest rates. It did pretty much the same thing during the week. It wound up at $81.40, up 1.74%. Importantly, put this in perspective, the price of oil per barrel, West Texas Intermediate Oil, is $40 lower. That's $80 to $40, 80 to 120 back to 80 since June. In June, it was $120 a barrel, which dramatically affected inflation. And it takes a while for that to sort itself through. Now that it's back down to 80, which is incidentally what it did Roughly where it was before it started swinging around in various directions before the pandemic, during the pandemic. Uh, it, by the way, in May of 2020, it was $35 a barrel, oil was. So and oil there, there has was, pretty much returned to what it was in 2019. There was a brief period of about two weeks where oil was negative cost per barrel. You People were being yeah. paid to take it away because they didn't have room to put it anywhere because nobody was burning it in their cars or in their energy I, plants. I kind of count that as an outlier, but yeah, it's pretty yeah. sensational. Definitely an but outlier. The, it was there though. It was real. Not part I'm of a normal scheme of things. The traditional way of looking at things and over long term with small movements in the economy and a more or less steady state economy that's moving slightly in one direction or another just don't apply right now because there's been so much surge and drop and surge and drop again. Really, you have to back off and look at things from a longer-term perspective right now. And actually, the best thing to do in all the statistics is what I've been seeing, despite all the headlines and the sensationalism and everything else that tries to sell clicks. You go back to 2019. Where were we before the pandemic or, or the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic hit? And look at where we are today economically and just ignore everything that happened in between. And we're actually pretty normal. We don't have anything weird going on if you look at it that way. And now back to you. All right. Well, we are that wraps up the market. And we're out of about, we're one minute short of out of time for the first hour. So we need to tell you something. Yeah. We're going to tell you how you can talk to us off the air. If you'd like, we actually do this for a living when it comes to portfolio management at the fiduciary level, generally people with higher net worth. Um, but we actually do like to talk to people anyway. 
Um, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waiting uh, during the weekend, real live people during the week. Locally, the number is... 254-947-1111. Or you can reach us toll-free, presuming you still have a landline, at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can read our newsletter. Sign up for the delivery of the newsletter every Friday. You can uh, look at our radio programs going back lots of years. You can find our podcasts wherever you find podcasts. Easter egg style. You can contact us through the contact form on the webpage or email us directly at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. We actually read those things and do endeavor to respond. Uh, Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening.